simple times with a simple message for simple people. I don't know. I hope that worked for you. But we're, uh, and you can apply that if it, if it works for you. Let me ask you this question. How many of you are in favor of slavery? Yeah, you're married, so uh, I had a first service person who said, why do you think I had kids? Um, slavery. Now, we have an interesting perspective on slavery, but I hope to get you to an idea of slavery today and servanthood. Rob was working that theme pretty hard about freedom, but it's freedom from bondage that's to the wrong master. If you have a Bible, open that to Romans chapter 1. If you didn't bring one, that's great. There's a little black book in front of you in the, in the pew there. Page 119 in the back. For some reason, they, nam- they numbered the New Testament differently from the Old Testament. So you've got to go near the back. Page 119 in the New Testament. And Romans chapter 1. Oh, I better go find it. Romans chapter 1. Paul wrote a bunch of letters in the New Testament. I'm not going to belabor this too long, but I want you to catch this phrase. In the Greek, this phrase is polos doulos. I want you to say that with me. I'll say it. You repeat it. Polos doulos. You say it. Say it again. Polos doulos. One more time. Polos doulos. That is simply his name. With, of course, because of the endings and the, the masculine ending, this adjective rhymes. And the adjective is this word, Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul wrote several letters. He used a couple of phrases. One of them was polos doulos, to describe himself, coming right out of the gate. Another one here is the apostle, polos apostolos which makes sense because he was given a very specific job as an entrepreneur for the gospel to take it and go and tell people, here's the message that's new. It didn't undo the whole Old Testament. And in fact, if you were going to invent a religion, the best way would have been to trash the old ones behind you. Christianity did not do that. It fulfilled the Old Testament at the same time. It's a brand new paradigm. Because there's grace in it. So Paul says, I come, I write to you, whatever. If I show up to you, I come in. One of the ways he said in several books, all of, uh, in fact, a number of the letters, six different times, he says, I am an apostle. He also used this word, Paulos Desmios. Desmios is a servant as well, but it is focused much more on the bondage part of things. I've got chains, I've got fetters, I'm hooked to the wall, I've got all of this going on that is is part of my condition that I'm in. Can you guess which book that he wrote that in? Which letter? The letter of Philemon, where he was describing Onesimus, Philemon's slave, who had run away, had come to where Paul was, had 
become a believer, a man of faith, and been such a great blessing to Paul that then Paul sends him back to Philemon, his master, and says, accept him back, he's yours. But remember, more importantly, he is a servant of God. And so am I, and oh, by the way, so are you, even though you're the master. The real master is God. And then the third phrase, he used desmios, he used apostolos, and he used polos doulos. He uses that in the book of Romans, he uses it in Philippians, and he uses it in Titus. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, as I write this letter to you, I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That's my posture. That's my position. Now, you're, you're asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with me? I'm getting you there. Stick with me. This is about slavery in an appropriate way. We kind of have this image, and all we remember from slavery is like the miniseries Roots or something that is all the horror, all the terrible things, which many happened, and I'm not downplaying that. I'm also not advocating that we reinvent and, and repick up slavery. I'm not saying that that's a good plan. But there's things to be learned from it because the idea of the bond servant had a very unique scenario. The bond servant was a person who, because of his family scenario, because of his story, because of whatever had happened, he had a debt and had the incapacity to pay it off. And unlike bankruptcy that somehow kicks the debt to the curb, who thought of that? These guys had to actually be responsible. And so what they would do would be find somebody who would literally take ownership of their lives in slavery. They would pay the debt that existed and now own this person. And this person would serve them. Usually it was for a period of time. And then they were free to go. A bond servant, however, was a person who came to the conclusion, hey, this is a good arrangement. This a relationship I have with my master is strong. It's a benefit. This is good for my family in the long haul. I see my life as actually I could serve this person for a long term. I sign up to continue to be this person's property. Really? In America, of course, I'm talking a foreign language. The idea of I would literally sign up for slavery. You know what the slave in a bondservant scenario realized was? My freedom comes when I'm serving a great master. My freedom is in serving the right master. And so I sign up. Paul doesn't describe himself as one of the smartest minds in the history of the world, although he was. He doesn't describe himself as a, a very important Jew with a great deal of influence from a very strong tribe, although he was that. He doesn't describe himself as a citizen of Rome who has all the capacity and the power that comes with that citizenship, although he was that. He doesn't describe himself as a Pharisee who knew more about the Bible than most people walking today would ever dream of knowing, although he was that as well. He describes himself as a self-appointed slave to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you why I'm pointing this out. Because unless you and I assume this same posture 
as we move forward into our future with a new pastor and whatever God has for us, unless we assume this posture first, everything else will get out of whack. It will all go by the wayside. It will all come undone. We will become slaves gone wrong. This is super critical. It is our common ground. It is, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, the commonality that you have with me, with the new pastor, with the person who teaches third grade Sunday school, with the guy who sets up the coffee, with the person who works in the food bank. We all have in common that we ultimately are not serving that scenario. We're serving God. If you're serving God first, you can serve others fine. Think about this for a minute now. You're the servant. You're the bond slave. Your master, who you trust, who you realize, I'm serving this person. Your master says, will you take and go do this for me? Go serve that person. What do you say? Gladly. I'm happy to serve this person. But first things first. It's because I'm serving my master. I choose to do that. This is unbelievably critical, ladies and gentlemen. Because if you think that a new pastor comes here to primarily serve you, you're missing it. You flip it over on its head, and now all of a sudden it goes, well, he's here to serve me. No, not primarily. We're all here to serve God. Paulos doulos. Paul got it. Peter got it. We need to get it. If not, we'll turn it over, we'll miss it, and it'll go south on us. If you still have your Bible, turn back to the book of Exodus. In Exodus, we hear the story of slaves gone wrong. Exodus, you can go to 16. It's page 53 in those black Bibles. Or you can follow me to Exodus 15. I need to turn back there. Exodus 15, chapter, uh, or verse 22, excuse me. Now let me do a little bit of setup on this that gets us into this. Because this story is just unbelievable. Paul did not learn about slavery from a bunch of geniuses. He learned from his own ancestors. By the way, who are our ancestors? So let me set this up in the book of Exodus. We hear the story, Moses comes on the scene. God brings him together, saves his life, in the bulrushes. Moses leaves Egypt, out hiding on the backside. The bush talks to him. He comes back to Egypt, says to Pharaoh, hey, guess what? My people, all of this whole nation of hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people, these slaves of yours were leaving. And Pharaoh says, you know, I didn't have that on my schedule. Let me check with my advisors on. No, he's like, are you kidding me? Yes, it's going to happen. So in chapter 7, God starts sending plague after plague after plague to affect the gods directly of Egypt. Every one of them affects a, mass, a major god of Egypt. Shows, I am God. I'm the God of Israel. I'm the God of Israel. I'm the God of Israel. Pharaoh keeps saying, so what? So what? So what? So what? It comes down to, in chapter 12, the Passover, when God kills all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians... And finally, Pharaoh says, get out. That's it. Okay, go, get out. Then he rethinks it and says, you know what? 
I just sent away all my slave labor. How am I going to finish these pyramids? I got, you know, there's work to be done. So he goes and chases them with the army. They come along. Verse or chapter 13, they start into the process of going through the sea, the Red Sea. Chapter 14, they get through the Red Sea. God collapses the water, swallows up the armies of their enemies. Chapter 15, they write an incredible song of worship and praise to God. And then they start along the journey. They get a little bit later in 15. And they're moving along for three days. Three days after everything has just happened, some of the most amazing, counter, miraculous, you got to be kidding me things that have ever happened in history. Three days later, they're out walking in the wilderness and they're like, we're thirsty. And they start grumbling. They start grumbling. That word is used more in this passage in, in Exodus than anywhere else in the Bible. They start just grumbling about it. They lose sight of it. Then, verse 22, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness three days. That goes on. They grumble. Then they go over to chapter 16. They set out from Elam. All the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness, appropriately named Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. I want you to listen closely to this. They're whining to Moses and Aaron and grumbling about Moses and Aaron. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt with a bunch of pots of meat by us. Really? That's what you prefer? You just saw what God has done, and now you want to go back to the onions and the meat. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen, this is an easy trap for Dillon Community Church to fall into. We'll go, oh, remember when that pastor was here? He was awesome. Or do you remember when we used to meet over in that place? That was amazing. Do you remember when we did this? Or, or we flip it over and go, oh, do you remember how bad that pastor was? Do you remember how terrible that teacher was? Or do you remember when the, park, oh, the parking lot was bigger and we could park more cars? Seriously. We could do the same thing. So they finally are saying, okay, literally, you brought us here to kill us with hunger. Unbelievable. That's their assumption. Comes down... Moses and Aaron go talk to God, verse 6 of chapter 16. Ten minutes, ladies and gentlemen, on the timeline, after the Red Sea. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you'll see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. Because what are we that you grumble against us? Ladies and gentlemen, if you are grumbling against the leadership in the church, if you really think that's who you're grumbling about, you're missing it because what you're really doing is grumbling about God. That's what's going on. If you're like, well, we should have done it this way. I wish they would have done it that way. It should have been longer, should have been shorter, should have been higher, should have been lower, whatever. We're not grumbling against the leadership. Moses and Aaron get it. What are we? Why are you grumbling against us? It's not us that brought you here. And it's not 
the leadership here that brought Dillon Community Church to the place that it is today. It's God. Paulos doulos. If that's not in line, it all gets crazy. We miss it. And if you look forward from there, the word grumble, 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 grumble comes up, comes up, comes up. And finally, they're just like, God says, that's it. I've had it with these people. You don't want to be the result because the, the final result of slaves gone bad is you die in the wilderness. That's the final result. So we learn about slaves. And what Paul did was he looked back in the history of his people and he said, slavery can be one of two things. It can either set you up to fail or it can set you up to succeed. And I'm going to I'm going to learn from my ancestors. And I suggest that we learn from our ancestors as well and get mindsets that set us into some things that are beneficial now, I'm going to give you three don'ts, and I'm going to give you three do's. And they're all about mindsets. They're not specific, get up tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning and go cook your breakfast. They're mindsets. Three don'ts. The first don't is this. Don't worry. Don't worry. The second one is this. Don't whine. And the third one is this. Don't whisper. And that makes a W. They all start with W. Don't worry. Don't whine. Don't whisper. Revisit these for a second with me. How much good does it do you to worry? Seriously, how much good does it do? Now, there's a difference between worrying and thinking things through. Processing, okay? You can actually say, well, okay, now I can do some productive thinking. Fine. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night with peace and calm and go, I better start worrying about something. It doesn't do a bit of good, right? How good does whining, how much good does whining do for you? I had a little girl sitting right there in the second service, and she said, nothing. (laughs) Right, perfect, that's exactly right. And she probably does it every day. Worrying does us no good. Whining for sure to each other. We're like, oh, can you believe he wore that? Can you believe they sang that? Can you believe they still have the food bank going? Can you believe that they haven't painted it a different color? Seriously. What in the world? And the third one is the worst one, which is whispering. The third one goes and says, I'm going to go over to this person and say, did you see that? Huh? Can you believe she made that decision? Can you believe they actually think that's a... Do not, as we go forward from here, do not worry, do not whine, do not whisper. What you're doing is setting in motion exactly what happened to those people in that story. As they walked away, they still were dripping with the water from the Red Sea, for crying out loud. And they start worrying, we don't have any water. And they start whining, Moses, you're such a terrible leader, you should have let us die in Egypt. And they start whispering, see, they just want to kill us out here. Undermining. You're probably wondering why in the world I have this chunk of road. 
hanging up here. Maybe you didn't know that's what it was. It's a chunk of blacktop. I lived for a while in the Coachella Valley in California. And Coachella is one of the driest places on the rock. It's just incredibly dry. And one night, we had where I lived, which was only about 10 miles from where this happened, we had a couple drops on the windshield, just made a mess is all it did, not anything real. But up in the Mecca Mountains, there was rain that fell, real rain. And I heard that Box Canyon Road was closed. And I thought, well, that's crazy. And then the next day, the sky was like this. It was perfect. And I drove my car out there, and I got on my mountain bike, and I started pedaling up Box Canyon Road. This is a piece of Box Canyon Road. There were chunks of Box Canyon Road as big as your house laying all up on the sides of the mountains, all along in the canyon through there. Some places where there was 15 feet of sand that had completely buried the road. And what I, as I was looking at that, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting illustration. Because it, in, it illustrates what happens with undermining. Nobody put a bomb in there and blew it up. Nobody, you know, brought bulldozers in and tore the road up. Nothing. Water from a, 20 miles away started trickling down those mountains and gathering into streams and gathering into a little bit bigger piles and then pretty soon you've got rivers of water flowing through those back those box canyons all focused going down to the bottom which is where the road was and it literally tore road sections and just shoved them up against the side because of undermining and it's a great illustration of what happens when you worry when you whine and when you whisper because you're just like that water. And if we let it collect, it gets worse and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon it wouldn't matter who's doing what around here. The wheels are going to come off of the cart and you're going to be just like those Israelites wandering in the wilderness. I promise you. Don't do those. Now here's some do's. Do do this. Watch. Don't just come and go, oh, well, we got a, a great new pastor. He's awesome. He's, you know, super smart. He's got so much horsepower and connections and he's intelligent. This is great. We'll just kind of see, you know, I'll stay home, I guess, or I'll, who cares? Watch. Keep your eyes open. Look. Engage. Pay attention. There's change happening. And with change, comes automatic good positive wins and also some losses. And you got to go, wait, is that what we wanted to happen? Watch. The second thing to do is this. Wait. Don't just knee-jerk reaction to everything. The reason the second word knee-jerk is jerk is because it's not usually a very good reaction. Don't say, oh, well, that was stupid. What kind of a moron would decide, watch... But wait, let things develop. Let some time occur. Let some things pass. Watch, wait, and work. If you really want to be a part of the future of what's going to go on at Dillon Community Church, you've got to engage. You've got to get something done. If you sit there like this, pretty soon you're going to be going... It was better in Egypt. 
I promise you, promise you, promise you, if you just sit there, that's what's going to happen. Watch what's happening. Wait for things to transpire with some patience and some time and work. Get to work. And in part of that process of that entire deal, be sure that your mind is aware and you come to terms with the fact that very much of what you prefer to happen at Dillon Community Church is a preference, it's an option, it is definitely not automatically right and wrong. If all of us could possibly get around our minds the fact that we serve God first, this is His kingdom, His place, and now we serve each other, and we'll serve each other with a mindset that says, hey, I have an opinion But so do you. So do you. An illustration of this is this building right here. This room that we're sitting in. You probably are not very conscious of thinking through these details. I have to deal with them every single week. There's conflicting values going on in this room. First of all, you walk into this room. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. For that to happen, you have to sacrifice some other things. Because for it to look good it may not automatically sound good. It may not automatically feel good in some other different ways. For it to sound good in one way, it may not sound good in another. You see all this hard wood back here? See all that? All those hard surfaces? All this hard wood here? That reflects so much sound you can't even imagine. Josh sat there on that drum. We have a a rug under him to try to kind of absorb a little bit of it. But just little taps and the sound goes, wow right out into the room. That's good if you're playing something little and acoustic like that. If you're playing an electric guitar, that can be really bad. There's trade-offs that happen. The light that happens in this room. Most of you maybe have never noticed this. I painted those windows dead dark black last summer for a reason. Because they're on the same plane. The photons come in through that glass And it's on the exact same plane as this wall right here. And so the light, as much as it's nice to have the light, the nice ambient light in here, the light affects anything that we want to see on the screen. And you have all these conflicting things that go back and forth. And ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, nobody's ever going to be completely 100% happy at any given time. In this room alone. If you think... We're going to go forward from here, and there's a magic pastor that's going to come. And now everybody's going to be happy. Are you kidding me? It's not possible. And if you're not watching, waiting, and working, what you'll start doing is worrying, whining, and whispering. And pull the rug out from underneath it. And it wouldn't matter who it was. One of the things we have got to. We can be honest about this right now. I've been here long enough to make this statement about this church. This church is not hooked in its identity to the pastor that's here. If you look backwards in our story. In fact, we talk about a pastor coming and fitting us. Not the other way around. We have to be honest with ourselves that our opinions matter. We have a great deal of influence. We have an identity that exists. But if we're just looking for all the little things, oh, you know, they should have moved that tree six inches over. It would be so much better in here. 
And here's the last thing, just so that you're aware as we move forward. You can ask yourself, who's missing? Who is missing? We have a future in front of us. It's going to be different than the past has been. We're not in Egypt anymore. God has done some amazing things. And there's also been some times where we're thirsty. But we're going to go forward. And who's missing? Is this all about us? If you want to know if you've got a healthy perspective on this or not, if you want to gauge all of this out, ask yourself who you're advocating for. Because if all of your discussion is about you, you know what? I'm not getting fed. You know, I'm not getting what I want. I don't, that music style doesn't work for me. It's not working for me. It's, uh, they, you know, I can't park close enough. And it, me, me, me. If you're talking about, thinking about, working this thing, and you're advocating for yourself, the chances are you're going to go right south just like the Israelites did. Advocate for someone else, and now we're talking. Advocate for someone who's missing. There's whole demographic groups that are missing from this congregation. Is that okay? What if we advocated for them? Groups that are kind of marginalized and pushed off to the side and really are not very... Why don't we advocate for them? That's an indicator of health. And the final deal is this. If one of us, any of us, loses. None of us wins. I mean, this was a a congregation of people that were walking away. And they start focusing on the stuff and they're like, oh, we're this, we're that, we're whining, we're worrying, we're whispering, we're everything else. And they drug the whole deal down. There's no way everybody in that congregation thought the same thing. But by the motion of really what was happening with undermining, it pulled the whole thing down. I suggest to you that the, the pastor that we have coming here brings so much energy. He brings so much passion. He brings so many gifts and talents. It's unbelievable. Let's add him to the team and let's go somewhere that's worth going to. And let's not wander around in the dumb wilderness saying we should have done it this way. That's my strong suggestion. I will commit to be Marcus Dulas. Will you? Let's pray. Lord, we come because uh, you have called us. You've bought us. You love us. You paid for us. You freed us from Egypt. And uh, we offer ourselves to you as servants. I sign up as a bond slave. And I'm willing, and I'm encouraged, and I'm excited, and I'm ready to go forward. Bring us a leader who will be a part of that journey with us. May we sign up and move with him as well. We love you. We uh, are happy as servants and slaves. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.